Well, Psalm 15, beginning in verse 1. This is the holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God written for you and for me today. A Psalm of David. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we have been taught time and again thus far in the Psalms, there is a stark contrast between those who love the Lord and seek him and those who hate God and rail against him and his people. The one is loved and blessed by God. The other is hated by and is justly under the wrath of God. As the fools, as the wicked come against and seek to harm and destroy God's people, we've also seen how God comes and fights for his people. He comes and gives us refuge and stands for our cause. He stands against the wicked and and strikes great fear in them as they recognize that God stands with and for the righteous. And God not only carries out his holy judgment against the wicked, but also brings them to ruin. We've received this clear message in Psalm 14, haven't we? And thus, the fear in the midst of their professed atheism. But for those who love the Lord, God's blessing of them is evident in many ways, including God rewarding them. In 1 Chronicles 28, verses 9 and 10, David said this to Solomon, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. And notice this, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Those are great words, very clear words, even regarding this contrast and distinction from David to Solomon. Good encouragement from a father to his son. But in Hebrews 11, verse 6, the writer, having just spoken about the faith of Enoch, says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so the truths in these passages 
the importance of true faith and the fruit of diligent obedience to God and His commands should be a part of the study diet of every true believer. It really should. It it needs to be. And this ties in well with the ethical qualifications of the people that David describes in Psalm 15. This psalm also truly describes and points us to Christ. We need to see that here today. And so tonight, let us consider who may dwell in God's holy hill in verse 1. The character of those who dwell with God in verses 2 through 5a. And the reality that God's people will never be moved in 5b. So as David opens this psalm, as we've seen in previous psalms, He begins with two important questions regarding all people on the earth. Look at verse 1. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Now, as we consider these questions, we discover that this psalm is much like Psalm 1. As Psalm 1 serves as an entryway into the sanctuary, we find the same to be true here as David addresses the requirements of entering God's presence. And it's also similar to Psalm 24, verse 3, where David asks these questions. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? And so, beloved, who may abide in the tabernacle of God? This is an important question we need to know the answer to this question. And what does this mean, even? Let's look at three things here briefly. First, remember that in the Old Testament, before the temple was built, God met with his people and dwelt with them in a tent. And that tent and tabernacle would travel and be moved as the people moved. Remember Elder Lewis's Sunday school lesson this past Lord's Day, where he spoke of John 1.14 and how Christ, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. That Greek word, to dwell, literally means he tabernacled among his people. And the picture and point of this was the holy God in his holy place with his holy people. But secondly, the the who that David is talking about here in Psalm 15 are of those who love the Lord and seek his face. They are those who desire entrance as worshipers into Yahweh's house. And so when David asks who may abide then, the Hebrew word means to sojourn or to dwell for a period of time, which could be indefinite. It also carries the meaning of dwelling as newcomers in a place that we don't have original rights of, interestingly enough. And that is very true. This is the Lord's house. We are God's people. We are his church. We didn't build ourselves. We didn't bring ourselves together. This is his work. This is his doing. He has all the rights. In other words, God's sanctuary isn't a place his worshipers are just in and out of quickly in five or ten minutes. That's not what dwelling is about. 
We're not in and out quickly in five or ten minutes like stopping off at HEB or Dollar General or some other store. Now, sadly, some modern churches today operate to meet the consumer's mindset, some even having drive-through worship. Yes, I've seen it. Well, I've seen it advertised, should I say. But no, God's people must never get in the mindset of being too busy for God, as if we think we're justified in fitting them into our schedules. No, we can form our schedule, our hearts, our desires to Him and to His Word and to His day. When we come to worship on the Lord's Day, we come to be with and to spend time with our covenant Lord. And we must remember that. We come and we, we fellowship and we spend time with His people and And each other, we're on our minds. But is the Lord on your mind? And is you spending time with your covenant Lord in his presence, in worship, in the forefront of it? Think about that. The place that we enter into isn't our own house. It's the Lord's house. As we are with fellow saints, as we are his church, We enter his holy presence to worship him. Again, who can dwell in your holy hill is the question. Remember that God's holy hill was Mount Zion, where the temple was located, which is ultimately pointing us to heaven. And so who will dwell in God's church here and and dwell with him forever in heaven? The big question here is, Who will go to and dwell with God in heaven? Beloved, only those changed by saving grace will inherit the kingdom of God. Only those who belong to and are redeemed by Christ and are clothed with his righteousness can stand in the holy presence of the living God. My friends, there may be many hypocrites in the visible church, and undoubtedly there are. But know and remember this. They won't dwell in God's house forever, like his true people will. God distinguishes his own people from strangers. And this is also a part of David's question and answer. The Apostle Paul made this distinction clear to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, when he asked, do you not know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, Paul said. But you were washed but you were sanctified, but but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Distinction. This is who you once were. But now this is who you are in Christ. Washed, justified, sanctified, set apart. And therefore, David, in Psalm 15, goes on to present ten characteristics of the godly. Look at verse 2. And as we consider these, 
see that the list progresses along the sum of the second table of the law that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 22. The characteristics of the godly and the character of the godly is seen in in his obedience to God in loving his neighbor. And also, and importantly, see that each of these accurately describes the character and obedience of Jesus himself and his righteousness. Look at verse 2. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. And so, in covenant relationship, remember that God commanded Abraham to live uprightly in Genesis 18, verse 19. And this is a good passage to consider as we think about these particular character traits. In verse 19, we read, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So this was to be true of Abraham and his family. Such works of righteousness, such obedience to the Lord, By the grace and work of the Spirit, beloved, we must show ourselves to be Christ's children by walking in a holy and upright life. And what does upright walking mean? It means living with integrity. It's living life that isn't just an outward word or show or ceremony or liturgy. Your walk is marked by loving God and neighbor in truth and reality. Working righteousness, simply put, is obeying God's law. It's obeying God's law. You are called to live justly before God and men. God requires justice. And so we must study how to do good to our family, to our brothers and sisters, to our neighbors. David says that the godly also speaks truth in his heart. Keep in mind, as the natural heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked, the only way that the godly can speak truth in their heart is as it's the fruit of the Spirit in their regenerate heart. Accordingly, the godly walk in honesty and sincerity of heart, considering such grace and the work of the Spirit in them. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, we read this, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates. For what? For truth, for justice, and peace. And so praise the Lord, beloved, that the perfection of such holiness is found in Jesus Christ, the righteous. Truly, the perfection of such things is only found in him. And so then praise the Lord even more for the grace and the work of his Spirit in us that we may live in these ways and according to these character and have this type of character in us that the Lord calls and requires of us. In verse 3, David says, He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. 
And so as we seek to love our neighbors, children of God must not be slanderers. That is something we must be crystal clear about. We need to know it when we see it. We need to be convicted about it if it comes out of our mouths from our hearts. And we need to stop it and we need to repent of it and turn to Christ. We must not be slanderers or gossips for that matter. Our walk must not be marked by our defaming others. We don't speak evil of people. We don't bite them behind their backs. Our lives must not be marked by our willful doing and an intentional harm of them. In commanding his people to be holy as he is holy, God said to Moses in Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 16, You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Again, the the wonderful and living God putting in the boundaries, putting in the guardrails to say, this is what you must do and this is what you must not do. This needs to be in you and this needs to be far from you and dealt with. And so how are we to treat our friends? What we're not going to do is taunt or revile them. We are to be good and supportive friends to them. In Exodus chapter 23, beginning in verse 1, we read there, you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. We're not those who give in to the peer pressure of fools. We don't give in to the group persuasion of clowns and wicked people. We are to be upright. We are to be righteous in all of our dealings. We are to be truthful and honest. Not liars. Not slanderers. Not just going with the flow, no matter if the flow and the people in it are completely against God and His Word. And so whereas verse 3 teaches how to treat other people, notice that verse 4 of Psalm 15 is about our attitude towards other people. It's about how we value people. We must not value people in the ways that the world values people. That's one thing that's very clear here. Look at verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. You know, in Esther chapter 3, the first couple of verses, we read this and see the good work of Mordecai in standing against. After these things, King Hwasoeris, say that five times fast, promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, 
the, Aga, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. And so, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai, Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. This is similar to what we know of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, isn't it? And others. Daniel. The godly bear the fruit of valuing the right people in the right ways. The godly bear the fruit of valuing the right people in the right ways, which means standing against the vile, the despicable, and the wicked of the world. The wicked mock God in order to gain favor in the eyes of others. And we must not be in the practice of seeking the approval of the wicked. They are to be despised, David says, in agreement with the word of God. We despise their taunts and their threats, and we aren't moved by them. They don't persuade us. In fact, we're disgusted by them. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And so here in contrast, the godly also bear good fruit in honoring God-fearers. We are to have such a view and a practice towards the wicked, but in regards to God-fearers, we are to honor them. We are to esteem those who fear the Lord highly in love. We rejoice when they prosper and sorrow when they don't. We walk together with them in a, a supportive relationship as friends and together as children of God. You know, we need to think about that too. We know the scripture well that we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We know many of the scriptures that talk about what we must do in loving one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord and the application of such things. But do we honor God-fearers as we ought, as we walk together with one another and encourage one another in such ways, in fearing the Lord, even as that means standing against the world? But notice that David goes on to say that the godly swears to his own hurt and does not change. And, and what does that mean? It means, brothers and sisters, that integrity is seen in the righteous person as he keeps and fulfills his word, even at the risk of personal loss or harm. His yes is truly yes, and his no is truly no. And the righteous and the one who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change is willing to do so in his integrity, even at such risk. And so finally, in verse 5a, David lists these things. He says, He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Beloved, the godly don't extort others. We won't exploit people with money. And we won't take bribes. These are things that we won't do. 
we can't do. And if we see somebody else who calls themselves a brother doing it, they need to be confronted and challenged on that and called to turn from that. Keep in mind that interest on loans was a crime in ancient Israel. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, we read, If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You cannot charge him interest, says the Lord. And so what is true of those who have such Christ-like character? As, as David has finished this, this brief list, which is not an exhaustive list, we know that to be true, as we consider the whole counsel of God. But what is true of those who have such Christ-like character in these ways? Look at the second half of verse 5. He who does these things shall never be moved. My friends, the godly who have these marks in their character, who demonstrate obedience in these ways, considering the context of what David is writing in specifically, they would never be moved. They would be immovable like the hill of Mount Zion itself. They won't be overthrown. They will be preserved for Christ is with them and for them and is graciously at work in them. And so as you consider the question of who will dwell with God in heaven, coupled with this list of godly character and godly deeds, don't leave here tonight thinking that David or anyone else is saying that possessing godly character and doing these acts of obedience are what justifies you and grants you favor with God. Far from it. The ground of salvation is the finished work of Christ. You and I are weak, imperfect sinners that can only live a life of godliness and holiness as, we, as those things and as, and as we display the fruit of divine grace that is at work within us. Really, the fruit of a lively faith. And therefore, I encourage you to examine your heart today. Do you have evidences of these aspects of true faith? Do you seek to live a life of integrity? Do you seek to walk in obedience to God's law? Do you walk with honesty and sincerity of heart? Do you refrain from harming others with your words and actions? Do you despise the wicked and, and honor those who fear the Lord? Do you stay far away from cheating and exploiting others? Now, some of you, as you consider the answer to the questions within your own heart, you may say, well, Pastor, yeah, I desire to do all these things and more, all that the Lord requires of me, but I am a sinner far from perfect, and I fail. Well, beloved, as we all fail to keep and to do these as we ought, I encourage you, again, to turn your eyes upon Jesus. What was true of his life and his time on earth? He lived in pure righteousness. He endured much slander, but spoke in love. He didn't exploit others, but became poor for his people so that we would become rich in him forever. 
He rules and reigns in heaven even now. And as you are united to Christ, His Spirit is restoring you to be more and more like Him. You are being conformed to His image. And because of your union with Him and the many other benefits that are yours in Him, may you have great hope that not only will the sanctification that He is doing in you be completed in the day of Christ, but that you will be glorified, that you will be with your Lord forever and ever in His kingdom, worshiping and praising His holy name. O imperfect sinner, redeemed child of God, may your hope be in Christ, for He is the one in whom are all of these things for you. And as you look at these these characters, these characteristics, and these things in Psalm 15. See the perfection and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, who does all of these things perfectly well, and has done them all for you. Indeed, you are clothed with his righteousness, and your sins were imputed to him on that cross. He has paid for them all, so that you can live with him for all eternity. Praise Him. And praise God for His Word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, all glory be to You. All glory be to You, O Christ and Holy Spirit. For You, Lord, are infinitely wise and holy and good. O God, that You would set all that has come to pass, all that will come to pass, together according to your perfect will and counsel, for your glory, that you have called us to do such things as we find here in Psalm 15, that that you've shown us who may dwell with you in heaven, and yet we know that we are far from being able to do these things, O God, as redeemed sinners. But we are thankful, O Lord, that Christ has done these things perfectly and well and for us. And we thank you that as we are in him, we will be with you. We will dwell on your holy hill. We will be in your presence forever, and we praise you and thank you for that from the bottom of our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.